Wow, what a powerful story, you know, um, how, how cool it is to see God at work in people's lives here at, at Christ Community. Uh, we, we really, as a church, we're just a group of ordinary people who love Jesus and uh, are wanting his love to change more people's stories. So welcome to all of you. It's great to have our college students back this weekend, uh, you upperclassmen. We missed you guys. You know, welcome back. And for you freshmen who are just starting your college experience. We are so glad you are here. We love our college students. Uh, we want to serve you and help you connect and grow in your relationship with Jesus. We have an amazing college ministry called Evolve. Um, video announcements mentioned next week. There'll be an orientation after our services about that. You can also find out more on Facebook, the Evolve uh, Facebook page. Now, so for all of us here, a couple of big things coming up um, and that I wanted to highlight before we jump into the message. One, you heard about in the video, ShareFest. This is like our Super Bowl, okay? ShareFest weekend in two weeks. We want everyone involved. It's big. It's going to be awesome. Um, we're going to meet. We're not going to have Saturday night service that weekend, Labor Day weekend. So we're all going to meet Sunday morning, 8 o'clock here. Um, for a, a brief worship experience. And then we're going to get our cool ShareFest t-shirts um, and our serving instructions. Then we will go out for three hours in our community and fix homes and clean up schools. And again, painting like 20 Habitat for Humanity homes. It's going to be crazy and we need you. Um, if you're not really into repairs and that kind of thing, we also need you to serve in various ways, including our prayer. We have a prayer team that's going to be going out and just praying at various sites. So lots of ways to serve. It's going to be awesome, but you need to sign up, okay? You can do that even during my message, okay? Right now, you can get your phone out, sign up, ASAP, registration is online. Okay, the weekend after ShareFest, um, we're, we're really excited about this. Weekend after that, we're launching a five-week experience that's focusing on the power of community. So we want as many people as possible to experience what genuine community is like. And our primary vehicle for that here at Christ Community is our e-groups, which is our small group ministry. So if you are not connected to an e-group, that five weeks would be a great way to just kind of wade into this. You can form a group on your own for that five weeks, get some friends together, some whatever. You can, you can join an existing group, or we are also going to have short circle groups meeting here at the church during that five weeks. In other words, if you don't know where to connect or don't know anyone or don't feel comfortable with that, you can come to church We'll have more details, but we will have groups going during those five weeks here at church um, so you can taste of that. There are more details in the newsletter. We're just really excited about that coming up. Okay, so today we are continuing this series of messages entitled Overflow. In this series, we are spending four weeks looking at the first recorded sermon of Jesus as found in the book of Luke chapter 6. And in this message, Jesus, in this sermon, Jesus clearly articulates his vision vision for how he wants his followers to live. And the entire message, the entire message can be summarized, summed up in one word, love. See, Jesus wants us to live with this overflowing love that fills us and then it spills over into the lives of others. I mean, we live in a culture that is so fractured by anger and violence and hatred and division. What we desperately need is Jesus' vision of love. Now that all sounds good, but let me warn you, the love Jesus describes here is not the sentimental, warm, fuzzy feelings kind of love. No, the, the love Jesus describes is hard. 
I mean, last week we talked about how Jesus calls us to love our enemies, to do good to people who mistreat us, to bless people who curse us. This is radical stuff, but that's what makes it so powerful. I mean, the atmosphere in our culture right now will not be changed by political speeches or by passionate Facebook posts or by anger-fueled social movements. No, what can change the atmosphere in our culture is the radical love that Jesus is describing. But there is a problem. There's a problem. I mean, imagine the impact if, if we're living this way. I mean, it could a huge impact, but there's a problem. There's a huge problem. There's something in all of our lives, there's a tendency in all of our hearts that blocks the flow of this love from us into the lives of others. It hinders this love from overflowing in and through our lives. In fact, it's the one thing that Christians most often get accused of by the world. And a lot of times they're absolutely right to accuse us of this. So what is it? Well, look with me at Jesus' words in Luke 6, verse 37. In fact, let's read this out loud together. Luke 6, verse 37. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. This is God's word. So in this verse, Jesus exposes a huge barrier in our lives that keeps us from loving the way he desires us to love. What is it? Judging other people. Jesus says, do not judge. So what does he mean by that? This is, this is the one Bible verse that most everyone in America can quote, right? <laughs> Whether they're in the church or out there, what doesn't matter. Everyone knows this verse, do not judge. Don't judge me, um, which, which often means I want you to affirm my behaviors and my choices as being good. Um, that when people say that, it's often what, what, what they mean. But what, so what is Jesus saying? I mean, that, that we should never have a biblically informed conviction about an issue? That, that we should never express our opinions? Absolutely not. I mean, later in this passage, the same passage, Jesus encourages us to evaluate the fruit in people's lives. Elsewhere in the Bible, we are commanded to discern what is good, what is of God. So to, to hold to our biblical convictions, even if they go against the grain of our culture. I mean, so, so what, what, what Jesus is describing here is not the positive use of discernment. That's not what he's talking about. What he's warning against is a judgmental, critical attitude towards other people. That attitude wreaks all sorts of spiritual damage. So... I want to use a little prop um, to help us understand what's going on when, when we judge other people this way. See, the Bible, remember the Bible talks about the judgment seat of Christ, right? It's the throne of God where, where he in all of his perfection and all of his holiness has the authority to judge, the judgment seat. And one day God will judge every person from that seat. Now, obviously, none of us are on that seat of judgment. But what we often do is we create our own stool of judgment, right? We create, we, 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 we step up on our stool of judgment, which elevates us above other people. And, and in this position, on this stool, it can result in some very damaging things, spiritually speaking. It's not a, not a good place to be. And so Jesus talks about that. So let's unpack this. For one thing, when we step up on the stool of judgment, we become blind to our own faults. 
See, stepping on the stool makes us feel elevated, right? We're above this other person. And what inevitably happens is that we magnify their sin and we minimize or ignore ours. There's, there's a really powerful example of this in the book of John, chapter 8, where a woman who w- was caught in the act of adultery and she was brought by the religious leaders, she was brought to Jesus. And, and clearly, she is guilty. She is guilty of this. So these religious leaders stand her in front of Jesus and they say to him, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? See, there they were standing on their stools, looking down on this woman in her sin. So how does Jesus, the Holy One of God, how does he respond? He kneels down and he actually begins writing on the ground, John tells us, for a few minutes. And, and he keeps writing on the ground. They keep, answer, they keep asking him because he's, he's not answering. So they keep asking him this question. They keep pressing him. Finally, he stands up and he says, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Silence. Silence. I mean, no one had an answer because no one was without sin. See, they were eager to judge her for her sin. I mean, adultery was at the top of their list, but they were unwilling to look at their own sin, like self-righteousness and pride. All that. They weren't look their own, unwilling to look at their own sin. So Jesus brilliantly calls them on it. He knocks them off their stool by just placing in front of them a mirror to see their own sin. And pretty soon, they all begin to leave. All these religious leaders just quietly began to leave. They, they were busted. They knew they were busted. How could they judge her when they had sin in their own lives? See, that's what a judgmental attitude does. It blinds us to our own sin. And we are all vulnerable to this. We are all vulnerable to this. I remember hearing a, a, a Christian leader say, and I've heard this probably a number of times, a Christian leader say, if God doesn't punish America for its sexual immorality, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Now that line got a lot of cheers and a lot of amens or whatever, but there's something, there's something in that statement that bothers me. Yes, Sodom and Gomorrah were judged in the Old Testament. But they weren't the only ones in the Old Testament who were judged by God in a dramatic way. In Joshua chapter 7, we read about a guy named Achan who sinned and God poured out judgment upon him and his family. They were destroyed. You know what his sin was? Greed. He kept for himself some things that were supposed to be devoted to God. And if you study this passage, and we looked at this about a year ago when we were going through Joshua, if you study this passage, you realize that this idea of being devoted to God, things being devoted to God from, jo- from Joshua chapter 7, that is directly related to the concept of tithing in Deuteronomy. This idea of 10% of our income belongs to God. It is devoted to him. Studies reveal, statistics reveal that on average, Christians in America give away just under 3% of their income, far less than even the minimum standard God established in the Old Testament. Now, now here's my point. Hang with me. Here's my point. Do you ever hear any Christian say, 
if God doesn't punish us for our greed, he'll have to apologize to Achan. I've never heard a Christian say that in America. Why not? Because it's easy to point to other people's sins and to talk about God's judgment for these things. It's much harder to look at our own sin and realize we deserve his judgment as well. Being judgmental blinds us to our own faults, to our own areas of sin. In fact, Jesus gives this powerful illustration of this a few verses later in this chapter when he talks about someone with a log in their own eye and they're walking around trying to pick out specks of dust in other people's eyes. I mean, the image is hilarious and it's very effective because it is the height of his hypocrisy to go around judging people for a speck when we have a plank sticking out of our own eye. But we do it all the time. We do it all the time. We, we, we shake our heads when we hear about a person who committed adultery. What a, what a shame, how tragic. But we love our secret stash of porn on our smartphone. We, we complain about how our boss mistreats us, but, but we feel perfectly justified in criticizing our roommates or yelling at our kids or our spouse. See, the, the very things that bother us in others are often the things that we struggle with as well. See, when we step on the stool of judgment, we become blind to our own faults, but that's not the only thing that happens. See, when we step on the stool of judgment, we magnify the faults of others. From this vantage point, we magnify the faults of other people. By standing on the stool, we elevate ourselves and we tend to look down on other people. We become fault finders, focusing on what's wrong with everyone else. And the more we focus on those things, the more magnified they become. So look again at verse 37. Do not judge, Jesus says, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. See, Jesus is describing a natural progression here. It starts with a judgmental attitude, and it easily becomes condemnation. See, our critical attitude towards this person just grows. When we focus on the faults of others, that negativity often, it starts to just kind of take on a life of its own. It colors the way we see this person. It impacts the way we treat this person. We start drawing negative conclusions about them, right? We just assume the worst about them. That's what makes this so insidious. A judgmental attitude turns us into critical, fault-finding, condemning people. And it blocks our capacity to love. It blocks our capacity to love. Like, like most of you, we've been in our home, we've been watching the Olympics. And last week, we're watching women's gymnastics and loving it. You know, it's amazing what these girls can do. I mean, the balance beam, I mean, it's just incredible. Four inches wide, you know, and they're doing flips and, and twists. And then they're, they're landing on this four inch wide strip. I mean, so, you know, I'm in awe of their ability, right? Everyone, I mean, everyone in the stands is in awe of their ability. They're cheering and they're applauding. But, but in the same gymnasium, there was a group of people who were not applauding. There was a group of people who were not smiling. They were sitting there. They were sitting near the balance beam, focusing on it. They were the judges, right? <laughs> the judges, serious, somber. Their whole goal is to look for faults. 
It's to look for mistakes and then to total up all the deductions, right? Their whole purpose is to point out what the other, what this person did wrong. I'd like to see one of them get up on that balance beam and do a backflip without killing themselves, right? With the rest of us judging them. Yeah, yeah, let's do that, you know? Um, now, I get, I get it's the Olympics. I tell you the Olympics, all that. But, but let's, let's be honest here. Don't we all have a tendency to place ourselves in that same seat? To focus on the faults of others. As, as we interact with or we see other people, we secretly mark deductions, right? We form negative opinions about them. We look down on them. Maybe it's the way they look or how they dress. Maybe it's based on their skin color or their political affiliation. Maybe it's based on their personality or their favorite football team or their religious affiliation or their language or the neighborhood they live in or the car they drive. Maybe it's, maybe it's because of lifestyle choices that they are making that we believe are not, from, uh, are not of God. And what, what happens is that thing, whatever it is, that thing becomes our primary focus. It becomes the lens through which we view this person. We view them through the lens of judgment, through the lens of condemnation, which according to Jesus is not good. It is not good. Now, I want to go back to the passage in John 8 um, with the woman caught in adultery. Now, obviously this woman, she is guilty. There is no doubt she is guilty. But there were two radically different responses to her in this account. So the religious leaders, the Olympic judges, right? The religious leaders had placed themselves in the role of Olympic judge, right? The, the judges, they had stepped up on the stool of judgment and they took it upon themselves to point out her sin and to shame her in front of other people. That was how they responded to her sin, with judgment and condemnation. Now the irony here, the irony is that Jesus, who actually had the authority to judge her, chooses a different response. He chooses to love. Rather than judging, he opens his heart to her. He extends grace. Look at this, Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? They'd all left. No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. See, Jesus doesn't condemn her. He doesn't judge her. He extends mercy. He forgives her. He moves toward her in love. And notice, notice, that doesn't mean he affirms her behavior is being good. That's, he doesn't say adultery is okay. And keep living however you want. He doesn't say that. No, he actually tells her to leave her life of sin. Clearly, he doesn't want her living this way. But even in doing that, he never takes the posture of judge. Never. He demonstrates compassion instead. You see, part of the problem with judging, well, part of the problem with judging is that instead of, instead of moving towards people in love, it distances us from people. See, instead of moving towards people in love, judging others distances us. And when we distance ourselves from people, it's really easy just to focus on negative things about them without knowing their story. 
when we've distanced ourselves, we can just focus on negative things about them without knowing their story. We, we end up settling in to this posture of judgment rather than compassion. So, for example, I mean, I confess, going into the Olympics, I did not like Michael Phelps very much, okay? Just from past here, history and seeing him in past Olympics, just kind of felt like he was kind of a jerk and sort of arrogant. You know, that, that's just what I thought about him. Well, before one of his races last week, NBC showed this, this story, this video story of his life. And, and um, I heard about it, didn't know this, but I heard just like a few years ago, a couple years ago, he hit rock bottom. He hit rock bottom in his life. He was placed in a rehab clinic and trying to get his, he was battling this addiction and trying to get his life turned around. And then he met his now fiance. His whole perspective on, on life has changed as a result of that brokenness and just that, that hitting rock bottom. My, suddenly, my, my, my attitude towards him changed. In hearing his story, I felt compassion. I realize he's on a journey. He's on a journey and his former way of life doesn't define his life today, but I was placing that upon him. What I understood about him in the past, that was defining how I thought about him today. I was placing, I had judged him before I heard his story. How often do we do that with people? How often do we judge them? before knowing their story. For instance, let's say there's someone in, in one of your classes or someone at work who is really vocal and nasty in her criticisms of Christianity and the church. Always, she's always just bashing Christians, all this stuff. And what she says, honestly, it's offensive to you. It's offensive, it's profane, and you find yourself not liking her very much. In fact, you just sort of avoid her. You just kind of have this judgmental attitude towards her because she's saying all these nasty things, right? You just kind of avoid her, distance yourself from her. Okay, let's say one day she, she happens to be eating lunch alone or something. So you, you go up, you sit by her, you begin to sit by her, and you just begin to talk. And then, and then in the course of that conversation, you just begin to ask her a little bit of her story. And, and she shares about how she grew up going to church. She grew up in a church going home. And her father was an elder in, in a church. He was moral at church. But then he would go home and he would sexually abuse her at night. So her hatred for him and for any part of the God thing that he represented, that got deeply rooted and understandably so. I mean, what would we have done if we had grown up in a similar situation? You see, when we, when we step up on a stool of judgment, we stop pursuing people's hearts. We stop being interested in their story. And we settle into our own negative conclusions about them, writing them off. Uh, you know, every, we, we all know this, but we need to be reminded of it. Every sinful behavior, every negative personality trait has a story. It has a story. It has a root somewhere. But if we judge people, we can never love them enough to discover what's at the root of that. I, mean, I guarantee below all the negative stuff that we see surface in people's lives, the partying, the sleeping around, the addictions, whatever, below all that negative stuff we see, below all of that stuff is a longing to be loved. 
I guarantee you, in every person, there is a longing to be loved. So when we position ourselves as Olympic judges, focusing on people's faults, we can't ever get to that deeper bliss. By magnifying their faults, we miss their heart. We miss their heart. Now there's one other thing that happens when we place ourselves on a stool of judgment, and that's that we open ourselves up for judgment to come back to us. When we step up on a stool of judgment, we actually open ourselves up for judgment to come back to us. So what do I mean by that? Well, look at Jesus' words in verse 37. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. See, well, what is he talking about? This, this is so important. When we live judgmental lives, that judgment will come back to us. Our judgmental attitude, what happens is it just creates this judgmental critical vortex around us that can end up damaging our relationships. It, it's what I, I've heard referred to um, in a book I read years ago, but it, it, he referred, the author referred to it as a bitter root judgment. A bitter, we make a judgment and it takes root in our heart. A bitter root judgment, it's, it's bitterness and all that stuff. When we, when we make a judgment against someone, our spouse or our boss or a teammate or whatever, judging their motives, judging their actions, judging their character, that judgment takes root and it begins to poison the soil of our heart. It begins to create this judgmental atmosphere around us that actually starts impacting us negatively and the way people perceive us, but we have no idea. Years ago, there were, there were a couple of people in my life that I started to draw some, some pretty negative conclusions about them. I thought they were self-centered and controlling. I didn't verbalize this. I didn't verbalize it to them. I just kind of kept it to myself, but it was something that over time, it became a stronger conviction in my heart, just this belief about them. Now, now, now I thought that was just something in my own heart. I thought that, you know, no harm done, but, but in reality, I had judged them. And judgments like that, they don't lay dormant. They infect our relational world. As I would discover years later, when I found out that these people, through some conversations, these people in my life, they actually felt that I was controlling. They felt that I was self-centered. Imagine that. Don't say anything. Okay. But, uh, but the very judgment I had placed upon them impacted the way they viewed me. It came back upon me. This is the destructive power of bitter root judgment. It's kind of like a boomerang. You know, what we send out, even if it's non-verbally, what we send out comes back. There, there's a spiritual principle here, right? We reap what we sow. We reap what we sow. If we sow a judgmental attitude, guess what? That's what we're going to reap in our life and in our relational world. The judgments we make against other people often come back upon us and they wreak havoc. And the problem with judgment too, it's we make a judgment against someone and then we ignore anything they do that doesn't really align up with that. But man, the minute they do something that, that reinforces our judgment, oh, there they did it again. See, do you see how that works? I mean, we just, it just goes deeper and deeper 
Because we're just looking for any information, evidence that will reinforce the conclusion we've already drawn about them. And anything that doesn't reinforce that, we just ignore it. I mean, that, that's the damage here. And again, when we do that, it just goes deeper and deeper. And then it actually impacts how they view us. I want to share a very personal story in our family. I, I asked my son's permission to do this. We have four children. Um, our third is Caleb. Caleb is, is um, very different than me. I'm this driven, intense, perfectionistic pers- person. Caleb is way more laid back. Um, and what began to happen in our family as Caleb was growing up was that I unknowingly started to make judgments in my heart about him. He's lazy. He's unmotivated. He's not disciplined. See, the reality was Caleb was none of those things. He just wasn't like me. He wasn't driven by the same things I was driven by. He had a totally different personality, but I could only see him through my own lens. And I began to, I began to have this negative, critical, judgmental attitude towards him. Even though I didn't say anything about this, I didn't say anything about this to Caleb, he could sense my disapproval. He could sense it. It was being communicated in all sorts of ways, ways that I was totally unaware of. Now, now Caleb would later admit that because of this, he was actually forming a negative judgment against me. I wasn't measuring up to his expectations. And it made him battle some anger towards me. It made him want to withdraw and distance himself from me. So my judgment towards him was causing him to judge me. It was not good. One day, a couple years ago, during Caleb's senior year of high school, I began to realize what was happening and the damage that my judgment was having, and I wanted this barrier to be broken. So I made a list. I made a list of all the qualities and attributes that I admired in Caleb. I even listed all the ways I wished I could be more like him. I could be more relaxed and a greater ease with people, not so intense and driven, all that. And then I took him out for a milkshake. And while we were there, I first of all just apologized for all the ways I'd verbally and non-verbally communicated to him any disappointment. I just was so sorry. I told him I was proud of him and I was glad he was my son. Sorry. And then I read to Caleb this list of all the things I admired in him. And, and um, there, were, there were tears for both of us. But suddenly the power of that judgmental attitude was broken. It was broken. The atmosphere in our relationship totally shifted for the good. See, we, we need to realize that, 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 that our judgmental attitudes towards the people around us, whether it's our spouse or our children or our parents or our siblings or our worker, co-workers or neighbors or our dorm roommates or whatever, our judgmental attitudes are wreaking havoc, whether we think so or not. Those things will come back upon us in any number of ways. You, you can't judge someone and love them at the same time. What we desperately need is to break this cycle of making judgments about people and being critical of people and harboring negative attitudes towards people. So how do we do this? Well, Jesus tells us 
earlier in this passage, the verse right before the one we've been looking at t- today. Look at verse 36, which is, which is the, again, it's the statement right before, do not judge. Read this with me. You can read this out loud with me here. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. See, Jesus wants us to be people of mercy, not judgment. And there, there are two things here, that Je- two aspects of this in terms of the how Jesus highlights. First of all, this is so important, we've got to experience the fullness of God's mercy towards us. We have to experience this ourselves. This is huge. Often, one of the reasons that we are critical of others is because deep within, we're critical of ourselves. We're just manifesting it. I hate you, I hate me. We're just kind of bouncing back between those two things. It's because we judge ourselves because we don't feel like we're measuring up. And that's why God's mercy is so important for us to experience. So you want to break the cycle of judgment in your life? Rather than standing on the stool of judgment, kneel before the cross of Christ. That's how we break this. Rather than standing on the stool, kneel, kneel before the cross of Christ. Rather than looking at everyone else's faults and sins, let's look honestly at our own sin, our own greed, our self-sufficiency, our self-centeredness, our anger, our lust, our critical spirit, our deception, our unforgiveness. Confess these things to Jesus and let his mercy overflow in your life, washing away your sin, washing away your guilt and your shame and your self-hatred, filling you afresh with his love. And not just one time. (laughs) Let's regularly go to the cross of Christ. We never graduate from mercy class, right? We never graduate from our need for mercy. We need it every day, which leads to the second way we break the cycle of judgment, and that's by asking Jesus to help us see this other person through his eyes of mercy, to see them the way he does, We talked about this last week because it is so important. We tend to look on the surface, right? Focusing on faults, focusing on the things we don't like or we don't agree with. And God wants us to see their heart. What what they're really longing for. He, He wants to see them, wants us to see them through his eyes of mercy. That's what he wants. Someone told me this last week, uh, recently a pastor making a similar point in, in this message, and I hope I don't get in trouble for this, but this is, I'm just reporting what happened, okay? But what he did at the end of his sermon, the end of his message, in this reflection time, he showed up on the screen a picture of Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. And then he basically just said, feel, go ahead, just look at them and feel whatever you feel towards them. And then... He changed the pictures and he showed each one of them when they were eight years old. And he said, look at them now. And how do you feel towards them now? Seeing them as children. You know, doesn't God really, doesn't he see us as children ultimately? He sees our hearts and those wounded places, those driven places in us that got rooted early on in our lives. Isn't that how he sees us? What would the impact be if we actually saw others through that same lens? Even people we didn't like very much. We saw them through 
God's lens, through his mercy. Imagine the impact of that. That's what he's asking us to do. Be merciful as I am merciful. The, the reality, Jesus is saying that, the reality is we don't handle judging others very well. Can we admit that? We don't. God can handle it. We can't. We can't handle judgment. You know, we can't handle that. We can't handle judging others very well. We do much better with mercy. We do much better with mercy because we are all recipients of his mercy. So let's step off the stool of judgment so that we can see eye to eye, we can see people, and we can extend his mercy to them. Amen. Amen. Let, let's, let's pray together. So I want us to, we're going to do a little exercise here just in prayer, but I, I want to ask the Holy Spirit to bring to your mind and my mind someone we have judged or we are currently judging. It may be a coworker, could be a family member, could be someone at school, someone in the past, experience, someone's hurt, whatever. It could be a political candidate we don't like, could be a group of people that are living a lifestyle that we don't agree with. But I want you to imagine yourself on a stool looking down at them. So Holy Spirit, I just want to pray. We're going to take a moment here. I want, you, I want to pray and ask you to bring to our mind a person that we are judging or a group of people that we are judging. Okay, so now with that person in mind or that group of people, imagine yourself on the stool and you're looking down on them. See, that's where your heart has been. So are you willing to step off that stool and in your heart kneel before Jesus? Confessing your judgmental attitude, confessing your own sin, receiving afresh his mercy towards you. Are you willing to do that? Let's do it right now, just in the quiet of our heart. Let's just step off the stool of judgment and let's kneel in our heart, kneel before Jesus and the cross of Christ. So just go ahead and tell him, just confess it to him. Receive his mercy right now. Thank you for your mercy. We all deserve it. Forgive us for looking at groups of people and other people through this lens, through this, through this vantage point. Forgive us, Lord. We just want to step off the stool and we want to admit we need, we deserve your judgment. We just want to admit that. We deserve your judgment. We need your mercy. As we pray for your mercy to wash over us and to cleanse us to take away our guilt and our self-hatred and our shame and all of that. God, we just need you. We need your mercy, Jesus. Thank you. 
for dying on the cross for us, for paying for our sin. Thank you for washing us clean. And now, now what I want you to do here is I, I want you just to ask God to help you see this person the way he does. And then we'll just wait. So just go ahead in the quiet of your heart. Just ask him or this group of people, ask him to see this person or them the way he does. Ask him to do that. God, we want to continue to pray that prayer and live in that prayer with anyone. Just help us see when we judge them and then help us ask you that, that you would help us see them the way you do. You see their hearts. You see what underneath all the surface, all that stuff, what they long for is love. That's what they long for. Every person. There may be under piles and piles of sin and messed up, all that, but at the root, every person wants to feel loved and to know they're loved. And so I pray that we would realize that when we look at every person in our neighborhood we work with and on television, we would realize, we would see that's how you see them. As a little child, really just longing for love. Thank you, God. The power of your mercy is amazing. We're so grateful.